amplify your career through training and development solutions specifically designed for federal government professionals. From courses to help you attain or retain certification, to individualized coaching services, to programs that hone your leadership skills and business acumen, Management Concepts optimizes your professional development. Online, in person, individually, or groups, it's training that's measurably better. Learn more at managementconcepts.com. That's managementconcepts.com. Blog Talk Radio. Yeah, yeah. You already know what time it is. It's that special time. When we take this worldwide. Let's go. So now it's time to turn it up Surf the radio waves as we begin to burn it up We all up in your area like landscape Definitely bringing you the power slamming pancakes It's the mandate that you tune in It's time to move out so we can move in And recognize that this is no illusion I'm here to clear the air so that there is no confusion It all started off in the book of Genesis When Jacob was wrestling with who he thought was his nemesis And when the man saw he couldn't overpower him He touched his hip but he really couldn't have devoured him and from that point, then we hear a name change, rearrange the game, so now we gotta change brains. Uh, so I'm here to let you know it's time to listen to the Pancake and Power Slam show. Let's go! Turn it up, turn it up, it's the Pancake and Power Slam. Turn it up, turn it up, it's the Pancake and Power Slam. Turn it up, turn it up, it's the Pancake and Power Slam. Turn it up, turn it up, it's the Pancake and Power Slam. Turn it up, turn it up, it's the Pancake and Power Slam. Show. Uh. Turn it up, turn it up, it's the Pancake and Power Slam. Turn it up, it's the Pancake and Power Slam. Turn it up, it's the Pancake and Power Slam. Show. Now listening to the Pancakes and Power Slam show by Crave Wrestling on Blog Talk Radio. Be sure to follow Crave Wrestling on Twitter at Crave Wrestling and join the Facebook fan page Crave Wrestling. Episode 232, ladies and gentlemen, it is the Pancakes and Power Slam show. And of course, I am Chris Featherstone. Follow Crave Wrestling on Twitter at Crave Wrestling and of course the Facebook page, the very popular Facebook page, uh, follow at Crave Wrestling on Facebook. Ladies and gentlemen, just like we do every week with interviews, uh, I love just digging and digging and finding people uh, who've been off the grid and, and, and you know, just as, as listeners know, I have the oddest uh, um, the group of, of, of uh, people they interview. I have, you know, WWE stars, uh, NXT stars, TNA, ROH. And then there's those people who's been away for a while who I'm just really interested to know what they're doing nowadays. And so uh, this person who I'm bringing on the show tonight uh, is definitely that guy. And uh, I've been uh, trying to pass a couple months to, to try to get a date placed. And we finally got a date placed and, uh, so without further ado, uh, he's been known as a lot of things. Cobra, uh, imposter, fake, bogus, uh, very villainous man that he was. Uh, but he is Jeff Farmer, ladies and gentlemen. 
and a lot of people know him as the NWO Sting. How are you tonight, sir? I'm very good, Chris. Thank you. My pleasure, my pleasure. So, uh, you know, a, a lot of times, you know, I, I work up into, you know, what are you doing now? But I'm really interested to know, I know that you are doing some things as far as um, medicine and research and things like that nowadays. Let let the listeners know what you've been doing since, you know, being gone from the wrestling business for over 10 years. Well, um, a lot of people probably don't know at the end of my career, I was pretty much exclusively wrestling in Japan. Mm -hmm. So I was wrestling in New Japan, that promotion, um, for about, on and off for about five years after the WCW kind of dissolved. So that took me out a little ways. And then um, I decided to go back to school. So I've just uh, completed my master's in public health. And I was working at the University of Miami in research on some genetic work. And uh, and so we'll see what happens from there. Fantastic, well, man. And that's and I always I always say, you know, and, and we were talking a little bit before the show. Um, you know, it, it's always good to see that positive story coming from wrestlers. We were talking about just you know the physical ailments that can happen uh, with wrestlers for having all that pain and all those bumps and and not getting properly treated over the years. And it's great to know that you are, you know, you have a successful story for, you know, you're in the wrestling business for almost 15 years. And it's great to know that, uh, you know, you, you decided to, you know, rebound and bounce back from a from wrestling career. Unfortunately, not a lot of people can say that because they're still, you know, wrestling at 60, 70 years old to make ends meet. But it's great that, uh, you know, you have a career past wrestling. Yeah, and, you know, uh, one of the things I've focused on even early in my career was really trying to stay in shape. I knew how important it was to be uh, physically prepared for the rigors of pro wrestling. I mean, I was a football player before that, so, you know, I was used to the physical stuff, but I don't know if anything really prepares you for professional wrestling, you know, a job as a professional wrestler, because you're just lifting and, you know, picking guys up, but also, you you know, slamming yourself on the mat and – you know, just staying physically fit, fit was definitely something that I focused on, continue to do so today. And I, I think it's part of the reason why I can still, you know, swing a golf club and tennis racket and all that stuff. Absolutely. Now, you say you played football. Where did you play football? And then, you know, uh, did what, what led you to endeavoring in the career of professional wrestling? <laughs> yeah, that's a good question. It's not something that I ever aspired to do. I mean, I was a football player. I played uh, linebacker and defensive end for the University of Central Florida in Orlando, and uh, and was a, you know actually a personal trainer. I dabbled in bodybuilding um, before that, and uh, it was my friend, one of my best friends, named Clark Haynes, who was my tag team partner at Thunder and Lightning. Um, he, he said, hey, let's get into pro wrestling. I mean, we had long hair. This was back in the 80s. Mm-hmm. And we knew Scott Hall. Scott Hall was a friend of ours. He lived in Orlando, too. And, uh, you know, it's just not something I really thought about. But, uh, as I said, my best friend wanted to do it. So we went to a school in Tampa and uh, Florida where they had a training center. We actually broke in under Steve Kern. A lot of your wrestling fans will know who that is. And, uh, Skinner. And kind of started from there. Yeah, mm-hmm. <laughs> Skinner. He was a great guy. So we started in a little warehouse in Tampa. I think it was Mike Graham's or the Graham's warehouse. And it was hot and terrible, and it was a, it was a dungeon. But uh, that's where we broke in and started. We worked in Orlando. 
and eventually went to WCW and worked at the power plant there some, and then, uh, you know, the rest is history, so to speak. Yeah. So the Thunder and Lightning team, uh, you know, made some noise in uh, independent promotions. I think the IWF, to be specific. Uh, <laughs> That's right. Yeah. That's and, right. Yeah. And, and I don't that, know why it was called that. We never, we never left Florida, but yeah, it's called the International <laughs> Wrestling <laughs> Federation. Exactly. Right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Just one state, but somehow it's international. So. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah, but. Uh, you, you did manage to go from international to world uh, because uh, IWF led you to um, to carry that team over to the WCW and feud with Harlem Heat uh, around uh, your, your time of debut. So, uh, you know, was what was it? Because you talked about the power plant. Now, you know, there was a lot of people, and, and I've seen a lot of documentaries of how rigorous that training is. Now, were you trained by Bully Lee Parker uh, during the power plant? Who helped you uh, during your time in the power plant? Well, it was definitely Bully Lee Parker, Sarge, mm-hmm. as he's well known by a lot of the wrestlers. You know, we went in there uh, when we got the call to go to WCW. We were the tag team champions in the International Wrestling Federation. I go, that didn't mean much, really, because it was a small promotion. But we kind of thought we knew what we were doing. And, and uh, much to our surprise, we were – we were pretty green. We didn't really know, you know, all the ins and outs of wrestling at that time. And so, um, you know, they put us in the power plant and, uh, it was rough. I mean, it was a very physical place with a lot of conditioning. Um, and, uh, we were during the, I would say the golden era of the, of the power plant. And, uh, it was definitely challenging. I mean, uh, there was, I don't know, it's hard to explain that place, but it was, uh, it was a great learning experience. And, you know, we had Blackjack Mulligan down there and a lot of the other greats, um, Ole Anderson. Um, so we had a lot of uh, great guys down there that could give us some direction. But it was it was interesting time. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. So who came up with the decision to split Thunder and Lightning up? Because you really made your WCW noise as Cobra initially. Well, that was the other way around. Initially, it was Thunder and Lightning. That's how that's when we first started. So, right, that's working, what I, like you said, a promotion right, right. with them, Harlem Heat, and then. Right. Well, no. what happened was really there was a a contract dispute oh, with okay. you, um, between us and the office. We thought we had more leverage than we did. We didn't really know, and one of the mistakes we made is because we thought you know it was the, um, you know at that juncture, but what we didn't really realize is it wasn't the right thing to do. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, we had a little disagreement with the office, which we would certainly work out, but the office uh, looked at it differently. Mm-hmm. And so they um, withdrew their offer to us. And so subsequently, my Clark ended up getting out of the business, and then I decided to stay in, and I came back as Cobra, as a single, mm-hmm. as a, a solo wrestler with that uh, idea. And then I brought it to, I don't know if it was, it was Eric at the time or whoever was there. I think Rick Flair was booking maybe then. And uh, started working some as Cobra, and I kind of started that. And then from there, the you know Eric Bischoff asked me to do the NWO Sting thing. They had a he had big plans for that, and so that's how that kind of took off. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And just to clarify, yeah, you, you, you like I said, you came in as Thunder Lightning Harlem Heat, but you really made your as far as from a fan's perspective, you really started making some noise from 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 the Cobra gimmick. Uh, and and because uh, because interestingly enough, 
Sergeant uh, uh, Craig Pitbull Pittman was a very uh, menacing heel at the time. And uh, I, from, from what I've studied, he's a legit Marine. Um, so, mm-hmm. Yeah, so, so that's, uh, you know, I remember uh, as a teenager doing the, the, the little Marine Corps call uh, when he was <laughs> when he would come out, <laughs> and uh, yeah, it was an interesting storyline between yourself and and Pittman. Yeah, you know, it was it was good. That was a it was a fun character actually. You know, I would come out with the beret and I would give the dog tag to a kid. Mm-hmm. You know, kind of a baby face character, um, and it was good. I mean, it, it was. I mean, I liked it. I thought it had a lot of potential. You know, it was an interesting time in WCW. There was a lot of. Um, you know, pressure for television time, mm-hmm. and there was a lot of guys coming in. A lot of guys were coming in from the WWF, and so you know, there's a lot of talent and really not enough airtime yeah. for everybody to get on television. So it was, it was, there were some good characters then that just didn't get a lot of a chance to really get a push. I agree, but I always liked Cobra. I thought Cobra was was kind of a fun character. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you make a good point there because. Around that time, 95, 96, uh, wrestling in general, both the WWE and WCW, started to get very edgy, uh, especially, you know, WWE with the Attitude Era adventing uh, around, around that time, probably a couple of years later um, at its, at its uh, heart. And, and then, of course, WCW getting edgier, um, within limits, you know, because of, uh, you know, and so, you know, but they still, WCW still tried to give a competitive edge and do things that are a little bit more risque, uh, you know, characters yeah. like, characters like characters like Cobra and Pitbull Pittman and things like that. Like you said, the, the exposure wasn't there as much because of the risque and edgier type of writing that you could see as a fan. Yeah, absolutely. And, I, I, you know, and I, at this point, I mean, I don't know, there's a pay grade, but ratings were less than the WWF or was it WWE? I don't know if it was WWF then or not. It was that. So we then, were yeah. trying, mm-hmm. yeah, we were trying to kind of compete with them and, and they were ahead. You know, I mean, that kind of flip-flopped later with the, w, with the uh, NWO mm-hmm. and it became, you know, then the kind of WCW ended up being really the top show. But at that point, you know, WCW had always been below the WWF. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, so they were just starting to have this real battle or competition between each other. And, you know, that, of course, extended through the 90s. Yep, absolutely. So was how did Eric Bischoff come to you about being the NWO thing? Now, it's interesting. Was it a resemblance thing or was it just a matter of, uh, were you? Did Eric ever tell you that he, that, you know, there were other options than you? It's really interesting because I never knew how, you know, the, the the back end of how that came about as far as you being the chosen person to be the imposter yeah. thing. I think part of it, and the and probably the major part of it was, I think he thought that Steve and I were similar, you know, in size and, you know, stature, so to speak. So um, I think that was part of it, that I could fool them maybe with my, that we look similar enough. You know, you didn't have, you know, I wasn't 6'9 or something like that. And they would say, oh, that's not thing, you know. So I think it was definitely part of the matchup in size. Um, um, I was probably a little heavier than Steve back then. 
but you know, it was, it was definitely close enough. And I think that was it. And he told me, Eric came up to me and said, look, if this is like a big deal, if this gets out, I'm going to squash it. Like I'm, it's, we're not going to do it. So it was really uh, very much, even to some of the boys, you know, they didn't know what was going on. And it was all, I mean, I, I just did what I was told, you know, Eric told me, this is what you want to do. I want you to do this. And I said, yes, sir. You know, whatever it was. And, and, uh, but it was something that he definitely kept very guarded so that it was kind of a shock to everyone when I came out of the limo and attacked Lex Luger and all that, you know, that was a big shock. So, um, it was good. And like you said, that was edgy stuff. And, and uh, my kudos to Eric Bischoff, you know, for, you know, coming up with something so edgy. Huh. So, that, so that's interesting. So you, uh, even with the boys were supposed to be portrayed as legitimately sting for, for a little while. Well, I think they wanted it to be, you know, obviously some doubt whether that was really him or not him. Gotcha. You know, I think it was definitely a very, you know, which is great because it creates a lot of, you know, uh, hoopla over the yeah. whole thing. Yep. And I and I don't think it was really going to be, and, I, and again, I'm not sure, but I don't think it was going to be like a continual character. Right. But I think what happened was I think Hogan liked it. And he said, hey, you know, this is a this is good. You know, we can use this kind of bad thing character to cause a lot of havoc and, and kind of work with NWO. Mm-hmm. And that's where it kind of stayed. And, and actually in Japan, I ended up doing it there and it became very popular. That character. Matter of fact, my character was more popular than sting. My, the bad sting was more popular than sting over in Japan. Mm-hmm. And I always thought we could have had a huge, you know, match, the real sting and the NWO sting. We could have, you know, took the house down in, in, in Tokyo somewhere if we had ever done that match. Yeah, and that's interesting because, you know, they, they Tokyo is, is very uh, known for having their um, July 4th, uh, excuse me, January 4th shows. Um, now, you know, for, for the past uh, 10 years, uh, it's been Wrestle Kingdom, uh, but, you know, they, they have a lot of other, you know, shows around uh, that around that time frame, it, it would be interesting. It would have been very, very interesting to me because of your popularity in Japan if, you know, it would have culminated at one of those big grand shows that Japan, that New Japan has. I, I agree with you. It, it definitely would have been uh, a, a box office attraction in Japan. Well, and it was just a missed opportunity really in the U.S. too. I mean, they could have had I mean, think about the what you could have done. You could have had, obviously, we wrestle each other, right? Mm-hmm. And you know, but what if somehow we joined up as a tag team, and then you had two stings, yeah, right, kind of a thing. You know, that would have been awesome too. We could have, you know, there could have been a lot of scenarios that could have been played out. But you know, I mean, that was just something that that never got a chance to to, to happen. But I think it would have been cool. Yeah, and, and then and even at that time. You know, when Sting joined the Wolfpack, you could have resurrected as being the NWO Hollywood Sting. You know what I mean? They, it could have been a lot of, you know what I mean? There's <laughs> a lot of combinations. You could have done a lot of stuff. Exactly. Yeah, and, and you, you mentioned Hogan liking the character because even when you were revealed to be the imposter Sting, you still made, you know, a, a few appearances, you know, with WCW. Namely, uh, one specific is when you were teaming up with uh, – well, the big show now, the giant at the time, uh, opposing, right. you know, Sting. So that was that was an interesting yeah. time. 
Yeah, and that was fun. I remember coming back. That's when I was in Japan pretty much. So what happened, too, was once, you know, uh, the New Japan wanted all the NWO guys, right, because they said, hey, we want Hogan, we want Paul and Nash, we want everybody. But, of course, those guys weren't going to go over there because they're busy, you know, working the promotion here. So they said, well, you can't have them, but you can have NWO Sting, you can have, you know, Buff Bagwell, Scott Norton. Some of these other, Scott had already been over there and been a huge superstar in Japan, so yeah. for him it wasn't a big deal. And so they sent me over there as NWO's thing, and, and, you know, again, the character got over and it became, and then they said, hey, can you come back? We really want you to keep coming back. So I was pretty much in Japan cycling in and out a lot during that time, so I missed a lot of the other appearances where they would have brought me in. So they were using other people, like they were using other imposters of the imposter, so mm-hmm. to speak, mm-hmm. and they had other people dressing up as and to be able to do stuff. But, you know, the one time I did come back when I was in the States, you know, there was a chance to do when, when uh, Paul and I teamed up and some of that kind of stuff. And Rotundo, I think Mike Rotundo was around then, and he had been in Japan with me there. So, yeah, it was, uh, again, it was a character that would have had some, I think, some longevity had they stuck with the whole NWO thing. Yeah, indeed. Did, did you think that the NWO got overcrowded at, at any time during its run? Yeah, uh, I do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I wanted yeah. to make it a, an elite group, and and I'm not that I was anything of a, one of the elite ones, but when you start bringing in a lot of people, you tend to dilute it a little bit. Um, but I don't know what was going on again at that time <clears throat> between you know Hogan and when they seemed to be dividing into camps, and there seemed to be a lot of talk about who was responsible for his success. Mm of the NWO and who wasn't. So I'm sure there was, you know, some, some tension or whatever between the guys about, you know, uh, around that issue. So I don't know. I, you know, I, I, I hated politics, you, you know, back then I still do. So I, I try to stay away from any of the pol- political stuff, but I don't know what kind of caused the dissolve of that. So I, and I really wasn't even in the U S during that time. So mm-hmm. I'm not sure. Yeah, I, I agree. I think it got overcrowded. I, you know, you, you said that you weren't one of the elite ones, but at the same time, you did have a very, very prominent spot during the entire, you know, storyline because Sting was the biggest foe, you know, single-handedly the biggest foe of the NWO. Um, yeah. You know, there, there, yeah. Was, there was no one in sight as far as, you know, DDP was a, was a good person as well as being a foe of the NWO, but Sting was the biggest foe of the NWO. Uh, I, I, you know, the, the ratings spiked throughout the week because it was the NWO versus Sting in many cases came out, um, you know, during the time where the doubters, you know, when Sting was transitioning into, you know, the, the, the black and white, I think that you played a very right. prominent role there. And you mentioned that, you know, that you, you did very well in Japan and, 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 and was very successful um, as uh, NWO Sting and teaming with uh, Masa Chono and, and, and doing some things there. Um, and then you became Super J. How, how did that transition come about? <laughs> well, you've done your homework, Chris. I like this. Um, <laughs> you know, the NWO kind of, you know, it was mirroring what was going on in the U.S., you know. So the, the NWO was super popular in Japan at that time. And, you know, Scott Norton was there and I was there. Well, Bagwell came in a few times, and Mike Rotundo and some of the other Americans. So it was very, very popular. But once the NWO kind of dissolved in the U.S., um, it kind of also dissolved a little bit in Japan. Mm-hmm. So, 
you know, I was doing the NWO Sting character, but they wanted me to do, you know, once that kind of calmed down and was kind of on the way out, you know, they wanted me to do some other characters. So they came up with this Super J um, character with a little mask, and, and it was a character they came up with. And I said, sure, you know, if you want me to do that, fine. So um, I came out of Super J. And it was a lot of fun. I mean, it was another, you know, chance to kind of, work heel, which I was working over there anyway, mm-hmm. and behind a mask. I'd never really worked under a mask, so it was like a different different experience. And, um, you know, it's what they wanted, so, um, you know, I complied. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what was it that just made you think, you know, now it's, now it's time to just hang it up? Because you were in your early 40s when you retired, right? Um, you know, I, uh, I'd seen a lot of injuries over the years. I uh, had a good friend of mine, uh, uh, that uh, Brian Johnson. I don't know if you know much about his situation. He was paralyzed. Mm-hmm. Um, he had a blood clot that went to his brain stem. And, um, you know, and it was just a lot of wear and tear. You know, like I said, I, I, my, my body felt okay, but um, I knew if I continued to do it, there was always a chance of getting a serious injury. Um, and I just, uh, you know, thought it was time to, to, to walk away. Yeah. And, um, you know, I, it's not something, Chris, too, as I told you, it wasn't really something that I necessarily aspired to do in the beginning. I never said, oh, I can't, I want to be a pro wrestler. I mean, I watched it as a kid, and I remember watching Dusty Rhodes and, and the end of it, Gordon Soley and all that when I was a kid and thought it was great, but never thought I would do it. Mm-hmm. You know, I was a football player. I thought I might play in the NFL. So, you know, it was not a dream like where I mean I was I, I loved it it was a great experience I would I would not change a thing and uh and I enjoyed it and I liked doing it it was very physical it was a lot of fun for me but at, at one point you know I just kind of saw I don't want to say the writing on the wall but you know I just hey you know maybe I should think about a change yeah yeah and you know and and it's great that you know spending the spending almost 15 years oh, excuse me 15 years in the business and <laughs> a long time, longer yeah. than I thought. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I'm like, whoa, that is. I mean, that's a, that's a sizable. I, you know, and I remember a long. It's true. I remember Arn Anderson telling me a long time ago. I, I, I think I was at a bar with Arn after one of the shows. He 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 was always a you know a great advisor. He had a lot of knowledge, and uh, he said, he said, "Listen, kid, it's not you know, it's not what you're doing. It's how long you can kind of stay you know in the business." Yeah. It's not how high you get, like, you know, you get that big chance to, to be a huge deal. He said it's it's about longevity. That's that's kind of the secret. And I said, oh, okay. And, it, you know, it made sense. Mm-hmm. So, I, surprisingly, I was in it longer than I thought. Yeah, <laughs> indeed. And, and, you know, and, and good. And, and like I said before, it's, it kind of comes full circle because, you know, being in the business for almost 15 years and still managing to bounce back away from it and not, you know, uh, you know, be 60, 65, 70 years old, still, you know, kind of limping to the ring, and, and, you know, and that's, and that's, that's important to me, you know, both as a journalist and a fan to see success stories like that. They're really, you know, they're really, yeah, I love and, that. It, but I have to, I have to tell you, Chris, though, it, and it's hard, though, to not lace up the boots again sometimes. I mean, it's, there is a very strong draw. Yeah. It's hard to explain, but there's a very strong draw that says, hey, you know, because physically I could do it now. I mean, I, I work out every, you know, I work out all the time. You know, I'm about 270, you know, two, 265, 270, and, you know, I, I'm in good shape, especially for my age. So 
you know, I could get in the ring right now and I think I could go pretty good, but you know, it, it is hard because you, there's a draw. <laughs> People call you and say, Hey, you want to do a show? And you're like, yeah, I know I'm retired. I really don't want to do it, but it's hard to say no sometimes because there's some kind of, I don't know what it is. It's just something maybe in the kind of guy that gets in wrestling in your DNA that just wants to do it. And it's uh it's not so easy to walk away from. Yeah, and, and, and I agree with that, too. You know, I, I'm saying from the standpoint that there's people who um, have not done a very good job keeping up with their body. You know, we we talked about this before the show, just as far as, yeah. you know, being, you know, kind of bodies deteriorating and they're still, uh, they're, they're still, you know, um, basically depending on you know pennies on a dollar i mean that's what that's what just saddens me now i've interviewed people yeah, like, no, it, it, I've, I've interviewed people like uh super uh, superstar bill dundee you know who's you know yeah. uh, seven years old he, he still wrestles because he's because he's basically saying you know and he makes a very good point he said that you know he feels that his body is going to deteriorate deteriorate if he stops wrestling, you know, because it gives him good, so it gives him so much good cardio. And if you bushwhacker Luke as well, he 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 shares the same sentiments as far as being, you know, an older wrestler, seventy years old, you know, just about, and depending on that because it gives them cardio and keeps them in shape. So I definitely that's that's well, one that, end of the spectrum. That and that's absolutely right. I mean, I, I agree with him. If they're doing it, you know. God bless some more power to him, you know. Mm-hmm. I think it's great. But the sad part is, like you're saying, is that if you're dependent on that, here these guys have given their lives and their bodies to, to this business. There's no retirement plan. There's nothing set up for you, mm-hmm. you know, 401K you put money into. I mean, it's uh, that part is sad because these guys have done an amazing amount of work yeah. and sacrificed, you know, family. And, I mean, they're on the road all the time. Relationships suffer. Families. I mean, they it, it is – there's nothing for them after, and there should be. You know, they've guys that have been in the business as long as, as you know, these guys, Dundee and, and, and everybody else who's been doing it for 40 years, you know, they, they, they should give something back. I agree. So, you know, it is, it is that's kind of tough. I agree very much so. Where can we find you on uh, social media? Do you have a social media presence at all? <laughs> you know, I don't really – um, you know, I mean, I have like a Facebook page or something. Mm-hmm. Might be a few. Uh, there's a few photos on there of, of wrestling, and I still still talk to a few guys. Like Scott Norton and I are pretty close friends. We really have a fantastic bond uh, during the time we spent in Japan. Um, but I, you know, I'm just kind of moved on to, you know, the next stage of my life, so to speak. And you know, I'm here in Miami. I, I fish all the time. Uh, you know, I go. I love fishing and doing stuff like that. So, you know, it's uh, it's good. Fantastic. I feel I feel you know wrestling for me was an amazing experience. I got to travel the world, meet a lot of great people and and uh, a lot of great guys. And so it's been I have nothing but you know great things to say about it and memories. And I'm I'm fortunate you know what it provided for me and I'm fortunate to still be you know healthy and uh, and I think you know that. You know, staying active for those 15 years, you know, definitely helps, you know, keep you together. I believe that. Absolutely. So my last question is, was uh, staying as good backstage, as friendly backstage, and as well-received backstage to you as many others say that he was? 
Yeah, Sting, Steve is a great guy, uh, you know, and I, you know, when I was in early in WCW, you know, Lex and, and, and Sting hung around, Steve hung around together, and I remember going to main event gym and, and, you know, working out with Scott Steiner and all the guys. We were all in Atlanta at that time, and it was a good group of guys, and, you know, Steve was always very professional, very courteous, and, uh, and uh, just a very nice guy. I, I, I admire Steve a lot. Yeah, that's, that's awesome, man. And it's great because uh, he is my all-time favorite wrestler. So, uh, yeah. <laughs> well, that's good. <laughs> yeah. Uh, to, and to interview to interview you is is, is great, man. I, I really appreciate your time, and I had a great time talking to you. All right, Chris. Thank you very much. I enjoyed it too. Fantastic. Have a great night. All right. You too. Bye bye. Thank you so much for Jeff Farmer. Really, really appreciate you coming on the show. Episode 232. Uh, great stuff, man. The the NWO sting, the fake sting, uh, able to come on the show. And, and he's right. He, he does not have a social media presence at all. Um, you know, it's just uh, I'm just blessed to to be able to, to pull on some strings and to, to work, you know, my connection magic, so to speak, to get the, the people – who come on my show from a, from a where are they now standpoint who have been away from the business for so long. And it was great. And, and like I said, you know, like I said, during the interview, you know, it, it was, it really took some time to try to find a date because, uh, you know, he, he just basically don't have any social media presence, but uh, we were able to, uh, to text each other and, and come and come with a date. And uh, yeah, he's a, he's a nice guy and he was uh, more than happy to, to be on the show and, I was really greatly appreciative of the insight he gave for his 15 years of professional wrestling experience. All right, ladies and gentlemen, we have a lot to talk about today, and I would do it with no one else other than the man. He's back on the show as the guest co-host from Bleach Report WWE. Ladies and gentlemen, feature columnist extraordinaire, the doctor, Chris Mueller, how are you tonight, sir? Oh, I'm doing great. Thanks for the generous introduction. Oh, absolutely, man. Well-deserved. All right. Well, ladies and gentlemen, without further ado, let's get to the headlines. Here we go. And as we do every single week, ladies and gentlemen, the takeaways from the Cruiser Wake classic the the recent uh cruiserweight classic last wednesday chris what do you have uh i mean it was another great episode they they had two long solid matches both mm-hmm. really impressed me for different reasons but you know the, at the end of the day everybody was talking about brian kendrick and the emotional moment he had in the ring with daniel bryan and that was one of those few times in wrestling where you're seeing something that you know is real and not scripted, and it, it just gave the end of the show a little bit of a different feel. It felt more special. Oh, yeah. It, it, you know, and, and you notice those nuances throughout the time that, that Kendrick was in the tournament, how, you know, uh, Daniel Bryan was without shame. You know, he was, he was pulling for, for Bryan Kendrick every single time he was, he was competing. Uh, in a match, and you know, and and that that to me, those are I, I just really pick up nuances like that. I just really do. I always do. I just pick up really subtleties and nuances, and 
I picked that up throughout the, the tournament, and it was really great to see the emotion that it came. Like you said, it, it was so ge- so genuine, so real, um, and, and it was just uh, it really helped out Brian Kendrick because you know he he, he dabbled on T- he dabbled in TNA, he dabbled in ROH. But, you know, he really, he kind of did that guru thing in TNA. It worked for a little bit. But, you know, he really hasn't had a very prominent television presence since the Brian Kendrick. So it's really a, it's really a comeback story for him to many people. Oh, yeah. And it's, it's been one of those great stories, too, because he's more than willing to admit that he made his mistakes in the past and he knows that this might be his last chance. Mm-hmm. And despite the fact that those might be lines that are being fed to him, it's completely true. He's 37 years old. It's not like he's going to get another comeback push at 45. So sure. to see him being featured so prominently and now to find out that he's going to take on an even bigger role going forward, it's, it's just great to have him back because he was one of those guys I always felt was super underrated for his technical ability. Everybody thought he was just a spot monkey, but he turned out to be this incredibly gifted wrestler that just wasn't allowed to show off his skills as part of a tag team. Yeah, and, and London and Kendrick was one of my favorite tag teams during that era. I was so happy, and I interviewed uh, Paul London here on my show. I was letting him know I was just for some reason, it was something. It was something so electric about that team um, that that was great. And for them to have the the tag team titles for almost a year, you know that was that was huge. You know, and they had a lot of faith. And you know, London <laughs> London does his share to bash the mess out of WWE, but you know he he had the titles for almost a year. So there's not much. I mean, I understand that there's a lot of backstage politics. I've you know, I've been doing this show for four and a half years and interviewed over 50 wrestlers to know, you know, that there's backstage politics. And I understand, you know, where London's coming from. But, you know, he, he to to have the tag team titles for over a year is, is a lot bigger and better of an accolade than a lot of other people can say. Yeah, and it's not like they didn't have some great matches. One of my favorite matches from that team actually was a fatal four-way ladder match. With Eminem, the Hardys, Dave Taylor, and William Regal. And there were so many things about that match that I loved, especially the way Taylor and Regal looked too scared to climb the ladder because they were afraid of heights. It was just one of those comedy details that, like, nobody but William Regal could have pulled off as well as he did. Yeah. And, of course, yeah, they were a great great team. Yeah. And, of course, the face smashing of uh, Joey Mercury that match. Yeah, that was unfortunate, but, you know, seeing as how he has become one of the more prominent and influential trainers in pro wrestling, yeah. it almost seems like it might have been a blessing in disguise. He might still be an active wrestler not getting a push right now instead that's of true. being the guy that's being credited with helping shape the next generation. Very true. And we wouldn't have been able to see J&J security. <laughs> <laughs> I loved those guys for the first couple months I did of that, that whole thing. Jamie Noble is like, he was the Heath Slater of his day. Like, Jamie Noble, there was just something so lovable about that yep. goof. Yep. Me and my media. Yeah. <laughs> he was he was excellent. Uh, and great segue. Cadillac. 
Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Great segue uh, to the next uh, next headline here. Ralta, uh, keep you know. Of course, they mentioned that uh, two weeks away uh, when they'll go ahead and and totally just launch the uh, Raw Cruiserweight division on the episode of Raw, um, and they announced it's been announced that there are going to be ten competitors for now, and they're going to stick with that as the division. Uh, the names uh, have been reported, have been um, Grandma Talik, who was reported to sign a couple weeks ago, Jack Gallagher, uh, Akira, Akira Tozawa, uh, my boy uh, Cedric Alexander, TJ Perkins, uh, Noam Dar, Rich Swan, uh, Johnny Gargano, Tommaso Ciampa, and as Chris was alluding to, uh, Brian Kendrick. So that is the cruiserweight division for all. Yeah, you know, it's a that's a great lineup. I mean, they really picked some of the best out of the cruiserweight classic. I, you know, I wish Kota Ibushi would have been in there, but it is what it is. I'm personally looking most forward to seeing what Cedric Alexander can do on the main roster. Oh, yeah. That guy, th- there's there's nobody else like him right now. I mean, he's I, I don't have a whole lot of experience with his mic work, but when it comes to in the ring, he just can't have a bad match. Right, exactly. Um, his mic work is okay. Um, he was managed by um, uh, her name's slipping me. Glasses, redhead, ROH. Um, what is her name? I, I don't remember her name. It, it'll pop up. But she was doing most of the work. She was doing most of the ring work. Uh, did the mic work? Um, in in all in ROH. Uh, so. Uh, you know when when they were a heel, they, they you know he he was on a, he was on the mic a little bit more, um, but you know it it, it would be interesting to see. But uh, Veda Scott, that's her name, Veda Scott. Um, mm. Yeah, so you know it, it would be it would be interesting more to see. But as we saw, uh, even with the division, it wasn't a lot of talking. You know there were video packages that were really enhancing the talent. And really helping right. the talent just really get that credibility factor, and I think that's that's probably what we're going to see to actually an elevated level with the raw production. And I think that um, I think that's good. I don't think there needs to be a lot of talking because, um, uh, as we've seen with the writing, the entertainment aspect from whoever's whoever's you know manning that division of just creating entertainment to the writing uh has uh not been not been very good unfortunately uh so we don't want you know and they're reported to still wrestle in NXT as well so we don't want too much and I've said I've said this all the time we we don't want too much main roster to bleed into NXT because it'll really take the dynamic and the distinction away so I just hope that it's just a matter of video packages, wrestling, and that's just about it. Yeah, minimal storylines, short interviews. Right. The Cruiserweight division in WCW was kind of the same way for a long time, actually. Exactly. There really wasn't a whole lot of buildup. They would just go out and steal the show with their matches. But, um, yeah, the Cruiserweight division mixing in with NXT, I, I have a feeling that a lot of that is to acclimate a large portion of that roster to the way the WWE style works, because 
we all know that WWE works a little different than the indies. You know, they're a little more conservative outside of the pay-per-views with their wrestling style, so they don't get injured as often. And it's probably just to get guys like, you know, Grand Metallic and Akira Tozawa a little more familiar with what's going on in the United States. But exactly. uh, the, the only thing that disappoints me about the cruiserweight division a little bit is that I want Gargano and Shamba to remain a tag team. Mm-hmm. I agree. As, I do too. As good as they could be as singles wrestlers, they're a great team right now in NXT, and I wanted to see them do stuff with like the Usos and American Alpha and all that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, you bring up a good point, and I think you know it's one of those things that we've kind of seen with NXT call-ups um, recently, recently at least, with especially with like the Fall Villains and. Uh, Apollo Cruz, you know it's it's not always greener on the other side when it when it comes to to NXT call ups, and I think you know Gargano and Ciampa, you know they, they're like you said they're doing so much good in NXT, and I just wonder like you know Vol Villians what they were champs in NXT, they weren't doing very well before they got called up, and you know Enzo and Cass you know they're doing. I would say well, but we'll talk about Raw in a minute. Um, and, and they didn't—they didn't capture the title yet. You know, I, I kind of wish they would have had a title uh, run in their in their pocket. I wish Baron Corbin would have had an NXT Championship run in their pocket. So, you know, it's, it's like a lot of these call-ups, uh, Alexa, Alexa Bliss and Carmella as well. You know, a lot of these call-ups—it it seems like there there were still a little bit left. You know, in, in their run in NXT. That would have kind of, you know, when I think about NXT in this context, I think about kind of staying that extra year in college football. You know what I mean? It's like, you know, you, uh-huh. you, you leave your junior year, you get a first round draft pick, but if you stay your senior year, you know, you get more stats, uh, you, you get better, you know, better recruiting, you get a higher draft pick, you get more money. So it's like, you know, a, lot, a portion of those superstars should have stayed that last year, so to speak. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I think WWE pulled the trigger on too many people too quickly. And the way that some of these people were introduced, like Alexa Bliss literally just showed up with a microphone in her hand and started talking. And yeah. unfortunately, WWE doesn't seem to take into account that a large portion of people who watch on SmackDown don't actually watch NXT. Right. I have no idea. Which is which is sad, but it's it's true. And you know, they they should have done a little more work with some of these guys. I especially agree with Baron Corbin. He should have had an NXT title run. It would have given him so much more momentum going to the main roster because now his momentum's dead. I mean he comes in, he wins the Andre Battle Royal, gets this big monster push the night of his debut gets a couple wins over Dolph Ziggler and then what has he done? You know, it's he has more to offer, but they're not really letting him do it because there isn't enough room for everybody to do everything every week. Yeah, exactly. But Carmella is the most disappointing to me. I, I loved her when she was in NXT and I thought breaking her up from Enzo and Cass was a huge mistake. Totally, totally agree. I would say that's my most disappointing call. Well, 
I say that she's second to me. Number one is Apollo Crews, hands down for me, because yeah, you know I've been such an Apollo Crews fan. You know I, I was uh, a huge fan of Apollo Crews in NXT, and I was excited about just the character development. Because I mean, as you as you've known, got to know, and I, I share this so much, you know, within my show and uh, throughout my my writing, is that I'm huge on characters. I'm an old school. It's all about characters and entertainment for me. That 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 just really makes or breaks a wrestler. And Apollo Cruz is Exhibit A for that. You know, amazing, yeah. amazing athlete. I mean, just he can he can tear the house down with any single person you put opposite of him in the ring period however there's no character he is as green vanilla as a scoop of ice cream and just you know and it's and it and it really really hurts his character so much because you know because he becomes a spot monkey his character becomes his in-ring work and that is devastating to a a wrestler i mean you cannot allow your in-ring work to, to make or break and shape who you are. It has to be before you enter the ring and as you go out. Right, exactly. And Cruz is, he has unlimited potential as far as his talent goes, but because he hasn't had a whole lot of mic time, I'm not sure what his potential is as far as building a character. I mean, if they just handed him a mic for five minutes, I don't know if he would do a good job or if he would fall on his face like Titus O'Neil did the other mm-hmm. night. So, yeah. I mean, I, I, I think Cruz is one of those people that he has a long career ahead of him. I think they'll develop him slowly, build him up, and I, I really do truly hope one day he becomes a world champion on some level. But, you know, unfortunately, there's only so much room at the top. Not everybody who deserves a run with the title is going to get it. He might just be one of those guys that doesn't get it. Yeah. It's sad, but that's what happens. Very true. Yeah. They tried to mic, they tried some mic work with him last week with uh, AJ Styles and, um, yeah, it, it, it didn't do too well, unfortunately. Um, next we have, uh, the reason why Brock Lesnar is appearing on the, uh, the house show the day before class of champions uh, is and I, and I covered this. I wrote this on uh, Sports Kita, and the reason why is because the WWE offers uh, lesser pay for those uh, for the the big name stars if they compete at a house show as compared to a, a televised event, uh, namely a pay per view. So uh, they asked Lesnar if you know he wanted to uh, opt in to wrestle at a house show. He agreed. Uh, the the house show right before the Clash of the Champions and the All State Arena an Arena in Chicago. Uh, huge, you know, it, it's a very monumental, you know, arena as far as uh, WWE events. And so he he chose to to wrestle Randy Orton again. So you know, it's it's a very interesting um, turn of events here as far as Lesnar appearing you know he he didn't he didn't necessarily do his absence you know people were thinking that he was going to be gone until uh potentially survivor series maybe even royal rumble but somehow he got this this uh house show in yeah uh it's kind of weird i think they view chicago 
like they view New York now and they want to make even the live events a big deal. Like all those Madison square garden events are huge deals and they're never televised, but, um, but yeah, I mean, I, I live an hour away from that arena. Uh, most of WWE shows I've ever gone to were, were in that arena. So I understand why WWE feels the need to stack the card a little bit. It just confuses me why they would put him in the ring with Orton again right away because you know it's just going to be another decisive victory and that uh-huh. doesn't do anything for either guy. I mean, we talked about that the last time I was on the show and we all talked about Lesnar, whether he was needed or not. I mean, it's you know it's going to be fun for the fans to see him for, what, two minutes? <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. And I, and I think, to be honest with you, you know, kind of going further into, you know, that topic that we discussed, I think this is even more of an oversaturation. I mean, I, I like the fact that Lesnar pops up in spots, uh, but this, but at the same time, it was good. You know, it, it, it was, it had that mystique and it had that spark, but now uh, because of just his, passion his his exuded passion for the business uh from a from an in-ring standpoint and 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 coupled with uh, remarks from from you know dean ambrose um it just nowadays it just kind of seems like uh, you know take it or leave it so next we have a pace reportedly gone from the wwe now here's my question uh she had a major role in total divas so why would the wwe let her go um, she's very young. She's 24, I believe. So she has, you know, so much ahead of her. I know that they, I know that Carano was trying to break uh, her and Del Rio up, um, yeah. specifically, you know, by splitting them in, in brands. So, you know, it's, it's interesting how she just became expendable all of a sudden. Well, I'm I'm reserving judgment until I hear from WWE officially because we all, I mean, you know as well as anybody that some of these rumors don't turn out to be true. But Very true. Exactly. You know, with, yeah. with her on Total Divas, it, it's not like anybody was watching only for her character. I mean, I don't even watch Total Divas. I watched the first season because I was writing stuff up about it. Yeah, and me as too. Soon as somebody else as, as soon as somebody else took over that assignment, I, I stopped watching. I might watch... I might actually watch Total Bellows just because I like Daniel Bryan and I actually like John Cena. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, Paige was a, a unique commodity when she first came in. The only other wrestler with as much skill as her was AJ. But now they have so many good talents in the women's division that she doesn't have as much power as she used to, I guess. You know, she's mm-hmm. not she's not the only thing holding the division together anymore. So if she was causing problems in some way and they just decided to cut ties with her, she'll end up somewhere else and Lucha Underground or something. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. I don't know if she'd fit um, the the mold of Lucha under, Underground. Uh, you know, she was booming in the in the UK before she came to WWE, so I'm sure that she'll have plenty of work there. Oh, yeah. um, I tell you who would fit the mold of Lucha Underground, uh, Katie Lee. I interviewed her last last week, and she just seemed like she would be um, uh, another um, Katrina. Uh, is that, that's her name, right? Katrina. Um, 
that's uh you know the the female boss at the Lucha Underground, I believe her name is. Um, yeah, and, and you know she seems she she has that character that would really 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 be very very uh, interesting uh, in, in that mode. So actually, yeah, Katrina is her name. Um, I actually uh, um, reached out to uh, uh, Krista Joseph uh, and kind of uh, plugged <laughs> plugged uh, Katie Lee to, to him. I haven't haven't got to response back, but uh, just kind of. You know, just kind of dropping that to him and, and to see if he'd be interested. So we'll, we'll see how that pans out. Uh, Roman Reigns, number one on the PWI uh, Wrestler of the Year for, for 2016 Top 500. What are your thoughts on that? You know, I, I, I as soon as I heard about this on Twitter, all I saw was a, a stream of people asking, how could this happen? Why did this happen? And at the end of the day, it, it, the PWI Top 500, it's not like it's tens of thousands of wrestling fans voting on it. It's a couple people. So mm-hmm. it doesn't really affect me one way or the other. I, I find it funny the way everybody reacted to it. But at the end of the day, Roman Reigns, whether you like him or hate him, is like a John Cena. He elicits a very loud reaction. He's very reliable in the ring for the most part. I think people overlook how good he is because he's being positioned as this power guy with a few big moves, but he's more talented than people give him credit for. And I don't blame them one bit. And frankly, you know, this is the most anybody's talked about PWI in years. So it got them some attention. It did exactly what it was meant to do. Yep. (laughs) Exactly. I mean, and, and and that point alone is enough to close the book. I mean, you know, yeah. he he draws. He has drawing power no matter what you want to say. When when Cena and everybody else, you know, when they were, uh, you know, when they were the, the, the names on the list, of the prominent names on the list, you know, they couldn't even get the draw that Roman Reigns is getting. You know, and it's, it's very yeah. interesting. If if the PWI top 500 wasn't as important as people say it was, you wouldn't be tweeting about it. I mean, that's pretty right. much, and that pr- it pretty much says it all right there. And the very fact that people are, you know, given an opinion, if you, if they didn't care about Roman Reigns, they wouldn't give an opinion about him. I mean, I, I don't, I don't talk about people who I don't care about, you know, I and mean, it's just, that's really what it boils down. If I have no, if I'm very apathetic towards you, you know, I can I can take a leave. I can take or leave a conversation about you. I'm not going to spend my time, you know, uh, so invested in you, you know. If, if, right. if there's no if there's no care there, obviously there's some type of something, you know, undermining feelings about Roman Reigns, and it's got it's gotten to the point to me that it's really laughable because it's one of those things that. You know, people fake like they don't care about Roman Reigns, but you know, he—he's, of course, you care about him because he's because he's making this type of impression on you by being number one of a fake kayfabe top five hundred. You know what I mean? So that pretty much, you know, says it says it all there. But you know, and it's it's a reputable top five hundred. It's it's been going on for you know quite some time now, Um, and I'm totally fine with it. I, I have no. I have no problems with it whatsoever. And I'm also happy about number two, what's uh, what's uh, uh, 
Kozika, uh, Kuska uh, Okada, who is one of my favorites uh, now. Um, Finn Balor is three. AJ Styles four. Uh, my 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 current favorite wrestler, Jay Lethal, number five. Kevin Owens six. Shinsuke Nakamura seven. Uh, Seth Rollins eight. Dean Ambrose nine. And it tops off uh, the top ten with uh, John Cena. Drew Galloway number eleven. How about that? <laughs> you know he's he's made a name for himself in TNA. I'll give the guy credit. He's one of the few people who who gets attention out there. But you know, like you said, the PWI it's a reputable list, and they take more into account than technical wrestling ability. They look at everything because right. I mean, if they were if they were looking at the best technical wrestlers in the world, you think Dean Ambrose would be on that list? Exactly. <laughs> yeah, it's so, mainly an accomplishment for them as well. Yeah, and I mean, Roman Reigns busts his ass doing media, doing charity stuff, doing live events. He's he's carrying a heavy load, so it's nice to see somebody actually give him an accolade and acknowledge his hard work. I mean, the guy deserves it. Yep. Very, very much so. Uh, a little bit more about this list. Very interesting list here. Um, so 12... So 12... Um, so it goes down to Roderick Strong, uh, Samoa Joe, Ricochet, um, and then uh, Will Osprey, Sheamus, Michael Elgin, Brock Lesnar, uh, EC3, top 20. Um, yeah, very, very interesting there. And then and then another thing when I was looking at the list was uh, jumps, like sizable jumps. Like, for instance, I saw um, the... Miz had a 38 um, spot jump from last year. Uh, he was 60, and he went up to 22nd. Kenny Omega had a 31 spot jump from last year. He was 54. Um, Bobby Lashley went down six. Um, and then Roderick Strong with a 49 um, spot jump from last year. Um and then I saw um, uh, a Takaji 212-spot jump. Zack Sabre Jr., 137-spot jump from last year. He was 165, and he was uh, 28th. Kalisto, a 95-spot jump from last year. Uh, he was 120. Um, I saw another, Trevor Lee. A uh, 290 spot jump from last year. 350 he was last year. Um, I saw. Yeah, here's a, here's another one I saw. Apollo Cruz, 125 point uh, spot jump from last year. He was 197. And then Eli Drake, 102 spot jump from last year. He was 196. So interesting stuff there. Yeah, a lot of people are making good impressions over the last few years. I mean, wrestling has, it might not ever be as popular as it was during the Monday Night Wars, but it is starting to take off again, especially when it comes to other companies. Indie wrestling is getting more popular. A lot of these guys are making names for themselves in different countries. Uh, you know, like Zack Sabre Jr., like you said, he had a huge jump up, and it wasn't necessarily because he became a better wrestler. It's just because everybody's noticing him more, and he's doing better work with more people. So yep. Um, yep. I always like to read through the list just because it's kind of fun to see 
where some of the biggest names fall in comparison to where some of the actual best wrestlers fall. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, but very, very true. I don't think I've actually bought the PWI 500 issue <laughs> in like two decades. Yeah. So yeah, I usually just amazing. end up reading it on the website or something. Yeah. I have a whole box of, I have a whole box of old wrestling magazines somewhere and pro wrestling illustrated was a big one that I bought all the time ex- besides the WWE magazine. And I have a bunch of the old 500 issues. I should look those up and see, <laughs> see if there's anyone on the list that's still around. Yeah. Um, a couple more, um, very interesting stuff here. Um, Enzo, I saw Enzo Amore had about a hundred uh, spot jump, um, and Big Cass didn't even make it. There's a few that didn't even make it last year. Noam Dar is 106. I actually talked to him today. Um, he didn't. He didn't make it last year. Raymond Rowe had a 106 spot jump uh, to 203, um, and then I saw Hanson. I interviewed him on my show. Um, 108th didn't didn't even wasn't even on the list last year. Big Cass 120 wasn't on the list. Jason Jordan 158 spot jump from yeah Enzo Amore um, 122 he was 226 last year so it's 104 spot jump. Jack Gables 123 uh, didn't make the list last year. Cody Rhodes 110 uh, didn't make the list last year. Cien uh, Almas 130. And like you said, um, I can do this all all show, but I'll, I'll yeah. stop here. Um, and then and then Tyson Dukes, uh, we talked about the uh, as far as becoming um, known, not necessarily because of their ability, because of being known. Um, Tyson Dukes, uh, he's been in the game for a while, but uh, you know his his CWC presence uh, gave him a hundred eight uh, spot jump to one thirty one this year from two thirty nine. Yeah, and he's 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 a good wrestler. He's one of those guys I was a little surprised WWE didn't go after a little harder. Yeah, I, I don't exactly. I don't think I don't think his first match in the tournament gave him the opportunity to show off as much as some of the other guys were given because you know some guys had eight minutes, some guys had eighteen. So right, it is what exactly. it is though. I just like I just like that guy because whenever I hear his name, it makes me think of. Jean Claude Van Damme's character from Bloodsport, Frank Dukes. <laughs> yeah, I don't know why that connection just pops into my head, but it does every single time. Yeah, interesting. And then finally, Scott Hall ejected from a, a restaurant uh, this past uh, weekend um, in Atlanta uh, due to uh, drunken behavior, and it's sad too because I've interviewed DDP and uh, Jake Roberts on my show, and both you know had a lot to say about Scott Hall's. Um, just improvement and just, you know, path uh, to redemption. I remember, I remember when I was a feature columnist at uh, Bleach Report, uh, I wrote an article about that when he was uh, going out of the accountability crib. And then I managed to watch both uh, the Resurrection of Jake the Snake and also I purchased and uh, watched uh, Living uh, on the Razor's Edge DVD from Scott Hall. And both were, uh, both were really good stories about just you know, him just being near death and, of course, showing that just very sad moment at the house show uh, uh, some years back and just, you know, his path to recovery and redemption. And it's just really sad to me to, you know, for him to 
just kind of relapse and, and kind of, you know, go back to his demons. And, you know, he had some cores and tequila and, you know, just making advances at the bartender. And I, and I watched the TMZ video uh, and he just, he just looked, you know, there's such a huge difference from sober Scott Hall to, to drunken Scott Hall. He just looks so down and, and just, just so lifeless, you know, and it just, he seems so revived when he cleans himself up. Yeah, it, you know, alcoholism and all that kind of stuff, it, it, it's a really sad tale. Uh, you know, I've had family members that have gone through that. When I was in my early 20s, I had some problems with alcohol that I was able to move past. Um, it, it, it's, it's, it's a really tough thing, and I don't think people who don't have personal experience with it or know somebody who does understand just how hard it is mm-hmm. for a guy like Scott Hall who – basically lived on cornflakes and vodka for breakfast for probably 20 years, you know, to move past that, to actually change the way you live your life on a daily basis and to change the way your body works. Cause your body's so used to processing all that alcohol and running at such a low rate that, you know, it, it, it almost physically hurts to go without that stuff for a little while. So, yeah. um, you know, I feel for the guy, I, I know that some people are only willing to give so many second chances and blah, blah, blah. But, you know, when it comes right down to it, he was one of the main people that I watched wrestling for when I was a kid. It was, it was Scott. I I had the little gold necklace that looked like a razor blade. (laughs) Um, You know, I had the toothpick in my mouth and all that. It's like you said, it's very sad to see. And, you know, hopefully this is just a, a one-time thing and he gets himself mm-hmm. back on the right track again. And that's going to happen with a lot of alcoholics. They're going to have little lapses and then they're going to have another good period for a while. So I'm hoping that's what this is with him. It's just a small lapse and, you know, we don't hear about something worse in two months or something like that. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And just his ability to, you know, the WWE's slowly but surely bringing him back in the fold. He's been coaching a lot of the, the kids and the developmental. So, you know, I just really hope he didn't lose any of that um, because of this. So, you know, best wishes to, to Scott Hall. All Absolutely. right, so let's let's real quick, let's get to the Raw and SmackDown review. Chris, um, I've had some wonderful guest co-hosts on my show, and you're probably the most optimistic uh, one, <laughs> uh, one of the most optimistic ones that I that I have here on my show. Were you – did you share that same level of optimism for this week's Raw? You know, it was a very hot and cold show for me. I, I thought some segments hit it out of the park and other ones – could have just been deleted, as <laughs> Matt Hardy would say. Um, 
you know, I thought the whole Sasha Banks thing was interesting. I'm not going to say that I fully enjoyed it as much as some people because as soon as she came out there and started talking, I know that the impression was to give people like, oh, she's going to announce her retirement because she's talking so sincerely and wearing regular clothes instead of her gear. But I, I just knew there was something because she wasn't like crying and Sasha Banks is a crier. Mm-hmm. And the fact that she didn't have tears flowing down her face told me that this was going to be a work. So that, you know, it didn't catch me off guard, but I thought it was interesting because it was almost like the reverse of what Mark Henry did a couple years ago. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. you know, like Darren Young versus Jinder Mahal was a waste of time, in my opinion. The whole Nia Jax squashing people thing is already getting old. Same thing with Braun Strowman. At least he moved on to a member of the main roster this week. But, um, but on, you know, on the flip side, I thought the first hour actually had some really strong moments to it. Uh, especially the stuff with Mick Foley and Stephanie McMahon. Like, I don't know where that came from. Mick Foley was flubbing lines the other week, and now all of a sudden he's this impassioned speaker. I mean, it's it's that was great to see that, you know, he was a little more focused this week. But um, the only thing about the show that really stuck with me that I've been thinking about for a couple of days is why did Enzo and Cass put over the Shining Stars? Like, how did that get booked to happen? Oh man, yeah. For for the sake of time, uh, this is how I feel about Raw. Delete, <laughs> delete, 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 delete. Because I love that soundbite so much, <laughs> I tried. I tried to incorporate it uh, at least once on the show every every week, and that was the perfect time. The WWE helps my show every week by allowing me to play that soundbite. So thank you, WWE. Uh, that's the upside of Raw. Um, helps my show. So, <laughs> but uh, just oh, man, it, it was it was awful. It, it was just awful to me, just from top to bottom. Uh, there's no there's no character distinction between Kevin Owens and Seth Rollins. Seth Rollins didn't even really make a face turn. He's still kind of heelish. There's no oh, the, the the Enzo and Kaz. You build him up. You build them up to to put the shining stars over them. They're probably having a they'll probably have a, a feud, but you don't start off with having the the, the Baby faces lose. They could have been attacked. Oh, just horrible. And then you know Roman Reigns comes in. You know I'm I'm a Roman Reigns guy. I'm a Roman Reigns apologist. Um, but you know it just just horrible. It, it, it was just horrible. What about SmackDown? Um, SmackDown was kind of mediocre this week. Uh, it didn't feel like the final show, show before a pay-per-view because, you know, we got backlash coming up on Sunday, which every time I say that, it it feels wrong because it doesn't feel like we're coming up on a pay-per-view. It doesn't feel like there's that sense of urgency right. that you're supposed to have leading into a big event. But, um, you know, I'm glad Heath Slater and Rhino won. That's, that was my big takeaway from this week. And mm-hmm. they were basically the main event. The only other segment that came after that was Styles and Ambrose talking to each other. So, you know, Heath Slater won a main event match. That's yeah. that's a headline right there. 
Yes, absolutely. With all with all of his kids watching. Um, yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah. Uh, point for SmackDown again for me. I mean, SmackDown's been solid for me. I, I haven't really had a lot of complaints about SmackDown. It's, it's been solid. Um, not you know not overly good, but not bad at all. Uh, solid. I would say um, is the operative word there as far as how I feel about SmackDown. Um, again, you know, the downside is just the misuse of Apollo Crews, you know, just losing a match to, to make the Miz look good. It's horrible, uh, horrible, horrible. Uh, but the but the huge upside is the Usos turning heel. I was very, very yes. happy about that. Um, that was long, long, long overdue. And, um, I, I I think that that was a great 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 move. Yeah, and the way that they had it happen, I, I thought was very well executed. They yep. they shake hands, look like good sportsmen, try to attack from behind, and they end up getting beat, which just makes them more angry and ends up like destroying Gable's leg, which I thought was a great looking attack because mm-hmm. Gable sold sold it like a pro. And, and then they go on with Renee Young afterwards and give a little impassioned promo about how, you know, WWE Universe started to turn on them for no reason because all of a sudden, you know, oh, Reigns is his family member, so let's boo them too. But uh, like you said, it was long overdue. And frankly, what they did with the Usos is what they need to do with Reigns. Yeah. But, yeah. But, yeah, yeah, that was definitely one of the best parts of the show and one of the things I'm looking forward to seeing where it goes for sure. Absolutely. Flavor of the Week coming up. It is now time for the Flavor of the Week. So, uh, since I am a uh, counselor and psychologist, um, at least I am a uh, student, a PhD student, uh, I, I want to do things in clusters, cluster A and cluster B, and uh, for okay. lack of time. <laughs> so, so cluster A is going to be ninety nine to two thousand and four, oh. and cluster B is going to be two thousand five to two thousand nine. I'm gonna go over all the title changes, and then Chris, let me know which one stands out to you the most. So, um, the first cluster is uh, ninety nine. Al Snow defeats Hardcore Holly for the Hardcore Championship. 2000, The Rock defeats Triple H for the WWE Championship. 2001, uh, Power Trip defeats the Brother of Destruction. Uh, all four titles on the line: WWE Intercontinental Tag Team. Uh, Power Trip becomes the they become the tag team champions. 2002, uh, we had three title changes: Eddie Guerrero defeating uh, RVD for the Intercontinental Championship. To Jerry defeating Billy Kidman for the Cruiserweight Championship. And then Hollywood Hogan defeating Triple H for the Undisputed Championship. And then 2003, we saw Jazz defeating Trish for the Women's Championship. No title changes in 2004. You know, there's two that stand out to me in that group. One for just being an awesome combination of wrestlers. When you're talking about RVD and the Intercontinental title. Mm-hmm. Um, but the match that I think sticks out as the biggest marquee match out of those that I personally remember and enjoyed was the two man power trip and the brothers of destruction. Now I didn't really care so much for the entire two man power trip storyline, 
but that one match, because they had three titles on the line in a tag team match, it was a very unique setup. That felt like something that should have been on a bigger show, so it made Backlash feel a little bit more important that year. 100% agree. That one stands out the most for me. Um, Rock Triple H was okay. That was, you know, uh, around the, uh, you know, Triple H winning the title at WrestleMania uh, that year, WrestleMania 16. Uh, but, yeah, Power Trip against the Brothers Instruction by far um, takes takes the – and, again, our Eddie Guerrero and RVD was good too. Um, but, yeah, that, that match had a really, really box office feel to it, uh, a big stage feel to it. And to be on Backlash kind of reminds me of uh, uh, the Shield triple threat, you know, being on a, a minor pay-per-view um, I, st- I don't. I, I still stand by. I don't think the Shield Triple Threat should have been on WrestleMania, but I would have been. I would have been fine with it being on a, a you know, kind of like a Survivor Series or Royal Rumble, a bigger stage. But yeah, I mean, they they wanted to make it a mark. They wanted to really push the pay per view and make it a marquee type of big, bigger pay per view, and uh, similar like, like they did this year. And yeah, they did that with the Backlash as well. All right, so 2005 to 2009. 2005, we saw the Hurricane and Rosie defeating Tajiri and Roy and Regal, the Heartthrobs, uh, Simon Dean and Maven, and La Resistance to become the tag team champions. What a group of teams there. Uh, <laughs> yeah, 2006, uh, RVD defeating Shelton Benjamin for the, Inter- uh, for the Intercontinental Championship. 2007 was Team McMahon, a handicap match defeating uh, Bobby Lashley. Timmy, team McMahon's Vince Shane and Umaga. Uh, for the ECW Championship. 2008 was Matt Hardy defeating MVP for the U.S. Championship and Triple H defeating Randy Orton, John Cena, and JBL to win the WWE Championship. Three title changes in 2009. We saw Christian defeating Jack Swagger for the ECW Championship, the Legacy defeating uh, Triple H, Batista, and Shane McMahon, and that caused Orton to win the WWE Championship. And then finally, Edge uh, defeating John Cena for the World Heavyweight Championship. Um, I mean, anything Edge and Cena ever did together was pretty classic. But uh, the MVP Matt Hardy thing was by far one of my favorite storylines that year. So that that's the one that stands out to me. I don't know why those two just... They were so polar opposite and worked so well together. And some of the comedy stuff they did to this day, I still think, is just classic. Yeah, <laughs> very much so. I think, yeah, that that, and then you know them being tag team champions, and uh, yeah, very very awesome storyline between those two. Um, I I say that that one stands out to me as well from from that group. Um, RVD and Benjamin was a pretty solid match too. Um, but, yeah, I agree with you. I think that one stands out. Uh, finally, before we get to the predictions, uh, quick thoughts on CM Punk versus Mickey Gall this Saturday on UFC. Um, as far as the prediction goes, I'm almost 100% positive CM Punk's going to lose, but I want him to do well. I want him to go the distance, if anything else, or at least last more than one round. But I don't know. It's watching those documentaries might give me a little bit of a skewed view because 
they don't make him look like the greatest fighter in the world. And I'm almost wondering if they're selecting footage to make it look that way or if that's just as far as he's progressed since he started. Yeah. Yeah, I, I don't I don't side with CM Punk not one iota. So I want I, I'm totally team gall on this one here. I, I hope <laughs> it gets I hope it gets destroyed. So uh, I will be uh, very interested to see it. I'm looking forward to, to watch UFC 203 on uh, on Saturday, and uh, it should be fun. All right, real quick, uh, let's close out with the predictions for Backlash. Uh, that is this Sunday, like you said. I mean, you know, you're not the only one. There's been a bunch of people that just kind of like, oh, that kind of creeped up on me. That is this Sunday. This Sunday. So, yeah, I agree with you. Um, so let's start with the six-pack challenge for the SmackDown who, who wins uh, the inaugural? Who becomes the inaugural winner? Um, Becky. Um, I'm gonna. That's I'm more gonna of a go, thing than anything else. Yeah, I'm a big Becky Lynch fan. I, I'm gonna go out. I'm, I'm gonna go even further out. I'm gonna say Naomi. I really like her repackaging. I tweeted about it. Like, why not give it to her? She's, you know. I really, really like her repackaging. I think it's great. Um, the SmackDown Tag Team Championship, of course, uh, uh, American Alpha out, as announced uh, on Talking Smack. And then uh, so now they have the Hype Bros against the Usos. So who wins that? And then the winner goes against uh, Rhino and Slater. So who wins that as well? Because of the Usos heel turn, I have a feeling that they might get another run with the titles, but I want Slater and Rhino to win. There's just there's something about Slater right now that I want him to get that payoff that he never got for any of the other storylines. Yeah. I think it's Rhino and Slater just because, you know, I think the free agent thing is, is on a good path, and to make him lose, it just kind of doesn't make any sense. Um to, to go back to the free agent thing. All right, real quick, Miz and Ziggler. Uh, Miz retains. Agreed. Orton Wyatt. That's the toughest one, honestly, because Orton, Orton needs something to get his momentum back, but Wyatt needs something to get momentum at all. So mm-hmm. I could actually kind of see it going to, like, a no contest and them just fighting into the back among a sea of referees or something. Mm. Yeah, that's uh, that makes sense. Um, I think they'll give uh, Wyatt the, the nod on this one here. Interestingly enough, uh, and then uh, the final uh, match uh, is uh, Ambrose versus Styles for the World Championship. I get the feeling Ambrose is going to retain, only to end up losing it to Styles in another month or two. Mm. But yeah, I agree. I, I would not I be unhappy to see Styles win. I mean, to see Styles win the WWE Championship is one of those things I never thought I'd see, so it would be great. Yeah. Uh, I, like, I've said this before, I, I don't think Ambrose is money with the title at all, um, but I do think that he'll retain uh, for some odd reason, so a very lackluster, no pre-show matches, and only uh, six matches uh, six matches scheduled until uh, except for, you know, now it's seven with the uh, Oh, Alpha American Alpha thing going out. So I wonder how that will squeeze that into three hours. That'll be very, very interesting. Uh, so yeah, we'll see. We'll see how Backlash goes. And until then, um, enjoy. Um, 
Chris, as we know, as always, a Boots Report WWE. Any other endeavors you got coming up? Uh, not at the moment. You know, BR underscore doctor on Twitter and Bleacher Report for my writings and anything else that comes down the pipeline, I'll be sure to post on Twitter. So, Yeah, fantastic, man. Awesome stuff. And, uh, yeah, you'll you'll definitely be seeing more of Chris. Uh, Chris is going to be uh, one of our semi-frequents. Uh, he has great chemistry with the show, and uh, he's actually uh, one of my favorite guest co-hosts, so you'll be seeing more of him. So really appreciate you uh, coming back on the show tonight, sir. Hey, man, it's a lot of fun. I always have fun on this, so uh, I look forward to doing it more in the future. I appreciate you having me on. Oh, fantastic. Have a good night. You too. All right, ladies and gentlemen, once again, that is a show. That is a successful show. Thank you so much for listening live, and thank you all who will be listening. Uh, archives, uh, you, uh, iTunes, follow us on iTunes, Pancakes and Power Slam Show. Subscribe to us on iTunes. I don't plug us a lot on iTunes. I should. I really should. Uh, so, yeah, we've got some quite a bit of subscribers. Uh, so go to iTunes, subscribe, and leave a very positive comment. If you like the show, so we really appreciate that. So, of course, next week we got another interview coming up and another guest co-host. It's going to be awesome. Uh, this Sunday, uh, this Saturday we got UFC. Uh, this Sunday we got background. We'll be talking uh, back back last. We'll be talking uh, about bo- both of those things coming up on Tuesday, and of course Monday we have the raw review on Facebook Live Crazy Wrestling page. Ladies and gentlemen, until next week, enjoy a week of wrestling. God bless, and have a great night. Bye bye. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.